Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, we are continuing our series, Love, Sexuality, and the Way of Jesus, and today's Father's Day as well, which is kind of, I, to be honest, all week long, I had these uh, weird emotions going on, like, okay, it's Father's Day. It's kind of a bummer to do a series, you know, do a message on sexuality on Father's Day. You know, it just, it just feels like it's a competing idea, you know, and all of that. And then a guy walked in in first service during, you know, I was standing outside just saying hi to a few people walking. He walked in and he said, he said, I said, hey man, happy Father's Day, glad you're here. He said, man, bacon and sex? Who wouldn't want to be in church today? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess that's a new perspective, right? So uh, anyways, hey, I'm glad you're back for the series to be, I, I was debating, do I want to come back? Like I was going to say, you know, this, this could be a day where you all show up, you're like anticipating the new, the second installment of the sex series, and then like, where's Rich? You know, he's gone, so he went on vacation or something, you know? But uh, no, I'm just kidding, I'm, I'm glad to be back, and as we said in the beginning, um, there's no better place to talk about this than in church. And I know that sounds weird for some of you because maybe you've never heard of it, and I get it. But the reality is that we live in a very sexually broken culture. And I know that maybe not everybody would agree with that term. In fact, we did get some feedback from that very first message I put out, and they were like, they, they just rejected that, you know, and I get that. But we do live in a very sexually broken culture. And there's a lot of people that have been impacted by it. In fact, I would surmise that every single one of us in this room, I know it's a big assumption to make, but all of us have been impacted through some kind of sexual brokenness, whether it's ourselves personally, or whether it's somebody we're married to, or whether it's somebody that we are parents to, or our own parents, we have, uh, we've all been impacted in some way or another. And so last week we talked about how in our culture, there's this attempt to try to separate sexuality from spirituality. And uh, we get that. <clears throat> I mean, if you, if you can sort of take God out of the equation, then it's just a lot cleaner to talk about sexuality. It's just basically consensual, do whatever you want. It's, as long as it's consensual, it's great. But when God gets put into the equation, it becomes a little bit more cumbersome to have these conversations about it. But there's this attempt in our culture to do that, to basically separate biology from theology. And when that happens, there's always a wound that is created. When you take God, who is the creator and designer of sex and sexuality, and you take God out of that equation, it tears something apart. There's a wound that happens. And some of you understand that because you've been wounded. Well, that's what we started last week. Today, so we kind of talked about some of the ways that those wounds happen. You know, like, for example, the idea of casual sex. Like, it's just casual. It's, a, it's fine. And we think that that's fine, and we're just trying to take God out of the picture. And just not think too much about that, but you just talk, talk about casual, casual sex. And the reality is that there are so many people that have been victims, basically, of having that mentality, and then years pass, and they realize, I, I wish I wouldn't have never done that. I wish I would have never gone there, down that path, Right? So that's where we started. Now today what I want to do is I want to talk about some, some of the broken ways that, that religion has discipled us <clears throat> to think about sex and sexuality and the damage that's been created there. 
like what we have been, what we've heard from within the church and from within religion about sexuality. Now, I, I'm doing this because I think it's important that if we're going to address something in our culture, in a wider culture, it's important that we're honest with ourselves. I think too often we, we have these ideas, like we have this moral view about something, and, we, and, and that's how we feel about it, and, and, and yet there's all these other little baggage items that we kind of ignore along the way to talk about this one big moral issue. We do need to talk about the moral issue, but we need to be honest with ourselves about how we ourselves within religion, within a church, have been discipled about sexuality and how some of those broken ways have really made an impact. It's, it's affected us all. In fact, I, I would guess that most of you in this room have a story about that, of how you've been impacted by this very negative approach in the church. And so what I want to do is I just want to talk openly about it today, Okay. Now, I just want to be clear, when I use the phrase, the church, in this message, I'm not referring to Life Church specifically, although I think Life Church has room to grow in this area, for sure. But what I'm talking about is the church at large. As we think about the church at large throughout history, and what I want to do is I want to, um, I want to, have, I want to like offer a repentance and an apologetic. An apologetic means basically a reasonable defense of why we've talked about certain things. I want to talk about that, but I also mix this into an apology. And then nobody's like, there's no pope out there to say, hey, Rich, you're going to be the one who's going to be the apologize for the whole church. So just don't go there. That's not what I'm doing. I just hope that you hear us. In this room, if you've been impacted, if you have, if you're walking, if you walked into this room this morning and you have shame and guilt, over messaging that you heard from within the church, I want, to, I want to offer an apology because I know that for many of you, there's a lot of pain associated with that. Churches has gotten it wrong. Maybe it's religion generally. Maybe it's a church specifically. Maybe it's a Christian personally that has caused you to create a wall around your heart it's caused you to be cynical about things. It's caused you to even, maybe it was around this area that you heard this messaging growing up and it was just so harsh that you, when somebody says, hey, let's go to church, you're like, I don't know if I want to go there. Because a lot of transference and you're just, all the feelings that you have about this is now transferred to everything and you just don't know if you want to be here. And I get that. I just want you to understand, as we said from last week, Jesus is better and Jesus cares about you. Period. He doesn't qualify. He doesn't say, I care about you if you follow all these rules or if you do all of these things or if you believe this way or if you act this way or if you make all, that's not, that's not it. Jesus, period, cares about you. And our hope and our desire is that you would walk away from this series feeling that way. So in the gospels, Jesus taught, he often taught in such a way that he was either correcting, he was clarifying, or he was challenging something that was widely believed. So if you go through the gospels, you'll find this over and over again where Jesus says these words, you have heard it said, and Matthew 5 is a good example of that, the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, and then he would clarify or he would correct or he would challenge a popular belief, something that the religious leaders had taught. This is what you've heard it said, and then he would say, but I say unto you, and he would change it. Six times he uses this, in, in, in fact, in, in Matthew 5, where he challenges or corrects the, the overarching religious belief, and he gets to the, the heart of the matter. So what I want to do is I want to borrow that phrase from Jesus of, you have heard it said, and I want to apply it to this area of sex and sexuality, 
And so I'm gonna say, you have heard it said, and each statement that follows is something that needs to be challenged, corrected, or clarified, okay? So here's the first one. You have heard it said that it's all about behavior. Like when we think of sexuality in our world, immediately it goes to what are they doing? What's the behavior that they're engaging in? And this is very understandable because if it goes all the way back. If you go back to first century, you know, the time of Jesus, that's what they emphasize. They emphasize the external and underestimated the power or the importance of the heart. And this is a way that we have also communicated, especially around sexuality, the way we've also communicated. Don't go to a rated R movie. Um, don't go there. Yeah, you, there might be some things that affect your heart if you go there, but, but it wasn't really, that's not the reason why. You just don't want anybody to see you going into a rated R movie because if you see you, then they're going to assume all kinds of bad stuff about you. When I was pastoring a little Puerto Rican church in, many years ago, there was a young man, uh, he was actually older than me, but we were both young back then, um, that uh, a guitar player, and uh, he had been away from church for some time, and he basically got kicked out. He was a Puerto Rican young man, but he got kicked out of church or disciplined in church, made to sit in the back seat, because one day he was in Puerto Rico, and he stood by a movie theater, and there's this popular thing in, in Latin America, the, the wrestling, there was these, El Santo was a wrestler, and there's these wrestling, you know, figures, these popular figures. And he just, he was walking by a movie theater and stood outside looking at this, the, the, dis, the display of a movie, El Santo Contra whatever, a saint against somebody. It was just a, uh, that's the name of the wrestler. And he was looking at the thing and he, somebody saw him and accused him. And then he was disciplined in church. And the rationale behind that was... You were doing something. It was about your behavior. They didn't investigate his heart or anything, and so he got isolated because of his behavior. Jesus, Jesus basically confronts this, and he says this, the problem I have with you guys is everything you do is for other people to see, but your hearts are far from me. Everything you do is for other people to see, but your hearts are far from me. Now, some of these practices that the church has taught, they're not bad necessarily, they might even be good. In fact, they might even be wise. But the problem is, is they focus on the external and not the internal. In fact, this is what Jesus says in Mark 7. He says, from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. It comes from within, Jesus says. Here's what he's saying. It's the heart that needs to be cured, not your behavior. Now, behavior will follow, but it's the heart that needs to be cured. I think we've grown up in church and as we think about sex, as we've been taught about sex and sexuality, it's more about behavior rather than the heart. It's about the things I do and the things I don't do. And here's the problem. So when we take this very complex subject of sexuality and we reduce it down to a list of do's and don'ts, it creates two kinds of people. It creates a legalist, a person who is judgmental of others because they manage to be able to follow those rules, or a rebel because they don't want to be a rebel, but it's just hard to follow the rules, and they don't follow the rules perfectly, and so they're constantly being judged over that, and so essentially they just throw up their arms and say, forget it. I'm just out of here. I can't do this, and so you're either a legalist or you're rebellious, right? So... 
I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry if the church took this beautiful mystery of sexuality and turned it into a list of do's and don'ts. I mean that. I'm sorry if the church told you that purity was a thing that you could behave your way into. Purity is not something you achieve. Purity is something that you receive from Jesus. I'm sorry if the church ever made you think that God loves you more if you follow the rules and he loves you less if you don't follow the rules. That's just not the gospel. I'm sorry if the church used guilt, shame, and fear as a way to make you behave. You were shamed into keeping these, this list of rules and Nobody really reached out to your heart. Nobody came to you with the compassion and the grace of Jesus Christ to try to win your heart over. Instead, they just told you, follow these rules. Do this behavior. I'm sorry if the church emphasized self-discipline over dependence on the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. I've been in ministry for 37 years, and I've had extensive conversations over all, all of those years. <clears throat> And I know that I've had, the, in these conversations, I've had these young men or women, mostly young men, who have basically said, I try and I try and I try, and I try to block this out, and I try to get rid of this, and I try to do this, and I try to do this, and yet I can't seem to break this addiction or break this thing that I'm going through. And a lot of this comes because the church has been taught, I mean, the church has taught that you just have to work hard. It's self-discipline. Now, I believe in self-discipline. I mean, I, I try to have a, live a disciplined life, but that's not what can set you free. It's not about behavior. It's about the heart. The church has got this wrong. Jesus wants your heart. I'm going to say it again. Jesus wants your heart. Behavior follows your heart. It's out of the heart that these things come out of. And so Jesus wants us to take our heart and say, here it is, Jesus, it's yours. I give it over to you. And I want to be faithful in following you in, 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 this, in this way of giving, surrendering myself over to you. So Jesus wants your heart. Number two, <clears throat> you've heard it said that your value is determined by your virginity. Like your value or lack of it is determined by your sexual history. Now the first week we talked about that word ikad, ikad in, in Hebrew. It's this idea that describes a supernatural union that takes place between a husband and a wife. It's, that happens during sex or when, when, you, when you have sex. Um, it's this beautiful mystery. It's this supernatural oneness that takes place, and we unapologetically affirm that. We say that's what, that's what God's word teaches, that he wants to bring a husband and a man and a female together in ikat, and it's basically consummated through sexual relations. We want that. But I would say to you that too often a church has communicated to people, that, and especially women, that your value as a person your value as a person is, on your, is your virginity or your sexual history. I was uh, listening to Matt Chandler once, and he was talking about a service that he was attending, and there was a guest speaker there that came to this service, and um, this guest speaker was talking about sexuality in the service. And so he started off the service by taking this one single rose stem and he gave it to somebody in the front row, and he said, okay, now smell it, pass it around, touch it, go ahead, pass it around the, the room, you know? So he just got passed around the room, and he continued speaking. About 20 minutes into it, the rose stem got back to the speaker, 
Matt Chandler was in the room there. He was, he was listening. He was sitting in the, in the audience. Rosam got back to the speaker, and the speaker took that Rosam, looked at it, and, and it was, by, of course, you know, a lot of people touch it, a lot of people smell it, so it was broken, and petals had fallen off. And the speaker said, you see this? This is what happens when you have sex before marriage. This is worthless, and he threw it to the ground. Well, he tells a story of how there was a young lady in this service, first-time guest, came to church, and uh, she had been raped when she was in high school. I know this is very detailed stuff, guys. Forgive me for that. Not, I'm, I'm not asking for forgiveness for what I'm ca- talking about, but just know that this is where we're at. She had been raped as in, in high school, and uh, the trauma that created so much brokenness in her life, it just started, it compounded itself to where she just felt very lost and hopeless. And so she comes to church because a friend says, hey, you should come to church. Jesus gives you hope. And so she comes to church, and this is the message that she hears. Yeah, you can accept Jesus, but you will always be worthless because of your sexual history. That is not the gospel. I hope you're hearing me on this because I think we can hear, you can hear a preacher talk. It's like, yeah, I'm tuning it out, counting lights. Hear me on that. That is not the gospel. That is not the hope that Jesus brings. Not at all. It does not reflect the grace of Jesus towards you. It does not reflect the power, the redeeming power of Jesus Christ in a person's life. And some of you in this room, you know that. You know that because you know your own sexual history. You know your own life before you met Christ and how he set you free. He's giving you hope and he's giving you a future. And when we take this and we somehow or another become very legalistic about it and teach others that somehow or another your value as a person is determined by your virginity or sexual history, we do a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the world's going to tell you that your sexual history doesn't matter. Your virginity doesn't matter. That whatever goes, that's a very dangerous message. And you know that. But the church has also done an equally damaging thing by making it the biggest deal. By somehow or another communicating that you're valuable to God if you could stay pure. So let me just be as clear as I can. It's Jesus, not your virginity or your purity, that determines your worth. You should say amen to that. It's Jesus, not your virginity or your purity, that determines your worth. Look, we celebrate God's plan for for sexuality to be reserved within a husband and a wife. We want ikad. We'll celebrate that. But listen, if you're looking to your spouse for your wholeness, if you're thinking that somehow or another, you know... um, I will be better if I could just keep all these rules and do all these things. That's not going to save you. It's Jesus alone who saves us. And bottom line is that we're all impure, and we all need the grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm sorry if the church made you feel like your value is determined by your virginity or your sexual history. I'm sorry if the church seemed to say that your sexual sin was somehow irredeemable. It's not. It's not. I'm sorry to the young lady that I heard from who was raped 
and felt even more shame when she came to church and realized she's no longer a virgin. I want to say I'm sorry to the girl in my high school who got pregnant her junior year. Try to go back to youth group, and the youth group's leader said, you can't come to, here any, come to the youth group anymore because parents are complaining. I'm sorry if you got an abortion because you didn't feel like you could tell anybody about your pregnancy. You felt like you would be shamed. I'm sorry if the message that you heard was that because of what you did, because you cannot because you've not done the things properly, you cannot be whole or clean or pure, and you should be ashamed of yourself. That is anti-gospel. That is anti-gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes us whole. No matter what your sexual history has been, he can make you whole. Amen? Number three, you've heard it said, no, 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 not yes. <laughs> it's humorous to me, but it's probably not so humorous to some of you. I, I get it. It's been a challenge for many, especially young wives who grew up in church because they were taught, they were discipled that, you know, somehow or another sex is gross or dangerous or shameful. And so the message was just no, 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 no. Okay, you got married, now yes. It should be an enthusiastic yes. Like you should be a desire it, Right? One author wrote this. He said, religion has oftentimes discipled young ladies into thinking that sex is gross and young men into thinking that sex is God. And so young men go around thinking, man, if I could just, if I get married and I have sex, life will just be better. My problems will be solved. I won't be lonely anymore. My struggles are over. But think about this. If one person is being discipled that sex is gross and another person being discipled that sex is God and then they get married... What kind of expectations do you think are going to be in there? What kind of, you know, feelings are going to explode in that relationship? It just doesn't work. And this is what some of you have experienced in your marriage. And so our message around sex is not no. Our message around sex is yes to God's plan and his design. I have adult kids, and I can still speak into their lives, but For those of you that have younger kids, hear me when I say this. It can be very damaging, very conflicting, the messages. If it's no, 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 then yes. So God has a plan. God has a design. Celebrate that with your children. Encourage them to keep ikad, right? And so I'm sorry if the message you got from the church is that sex is gross instead of sex is a gift, I'm sorry if the church's message about sex brought fear and unhealthy expectations into your marriage. I'm sorry if your religious upbringing made, you seem, made sex seem like it was dangerous rather than something beautiful that's worth protecting and saving for your marriage. Number four, <clears throat> you've heard it said marriage will save you. Anybody ever heard that? Don't raise your hand, Right? I mean, you may not have heard it in those words, but that's kind of the idea, that get, the message that gets sense. It's like this idol in church. There's something about, that, you know, something, that we, you know, something we put our hope in, something that we're really leaning into. But that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, let's pull that verse up. He says, God gives the gift of single life to some 
and the gift of married life to others. Like both of them are a gift from God. And yet we've kind of been, there's this been not so subtle message in our, in our culture and even in the church that if you're single, there's something wrong with you. Like you got to fix yourself or something. Like, you know, the unintended people come up and say, hey, you know, I mean, people come up in an unintended way and say, hey, you know, I, I met somebody for you, you know, and it's like it's not helpful. But then also they've taught, this not so subtle message, is that if you're celibate, you'll never be fulfilled which is kind of ironic if that gets taught in the church because the person that we follow was single and celibate and probably the most fulfilled person on the the face of the earth, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so while we want to celebrate the gift and beauty of marriage, we don't hold it up as the ultimate. Sometimes the message is that marriage will save you from your loneliness and some of the loneliest people I've known are married people. Or the message is that if you're sexually frustrated, marriage will save you from your sexual frustration. Again, some of the most sexually frustrated people I know are married people. Or if you're unhappy or discontent or you're not satisfied, marriage is somehow going to save you from that. Listen, only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. And There's something beautiful about marriage, but if you're looking to your spouse, if I look to Christy and I think, she is my savior, then there's gonna be a rude awakening one day for me. It won't happen too long, too far into the future, right? And so I'm sorry if you're single and the church has someone made you feel as less than. I'm sorry if the church has ever treated celibacy like it's a curse. I'm sorry for the time the church made you think that the cure for your loneliness Your discontentment was somehow to just get married. Jesus, listen, Jesus is our only hope. That's an important line when we talk about sexuality. I know it sounds very simple, but it's an important line because a lot of the sexual frustration, a lot of the dialogue around sexuality is that we've got to find some kind of happiness and hope in this And Jesus is the only one that can give it, period. Jesus is your only hope. Number five, you've heard it said, blank. Like, nothing, (laughs) right? Like you were struggling, maybe you started, you developed a a porn addiction or you developed some other thing and you're just struggling with something and and you go to church and maybe, I mean, because you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, you really want to serve faithfully, but you're feeling these things going on inside of you and you wait for somebody to say something and they don't. You hear nothing. Dr. Julie Slattery, she has a, I I wish I, I said I was going to do it first service and I forgot has a website called AuthenticIntimacy.com. Great, great website, a lot of great resources, solid biblical teaching around sexuality as well. But in her book, Rethinking Sexuality, she says this. For generations, the church simply didn't talk about things such as sexual addiction, sexual abuse, sexual dysfunction, or even sexual pleasure in marriage. And the people were left to navigate that terrain on their own. Last uh, week, or the first week that we started this series, I, um, after I finished, it was second service, I believe, after I finished second service, I walked down, there's a lady walked up, walked up to me and she said, Pastor, I've been in the church for over 50 years and I have not one time 
heard a message about sexuality like what you shared today. She said, I've heard bits and pieces about fornication and adultery and those kind of things, but I've really just never heard about this, about God's plan for sexuality, God's design and his purpose for sexuality. So I'm sorry if you spent half your life in church and never heard about God's design and plan for sex. I'm sorry if you've struggled with porn, but the church didn't know how to help you, and so just didn't say anything. I'm sorry if the church's silence on sex made you think that somehow it was shameful. I'm sorry if the church was silent about sex and led you to find answers in other places that weren't just unreliable, but they were kind of destructive. I'm sorry about that. Lastly, you've heard it said, there are different classifications of sexual sin. We're going to talk more about this next week. Um, I, I don't really title my messages, but if I title it, I would say, why does God care about your sex, who you sleep with? That would be my title, I guess. So if that teases you to come, great. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm, 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 I may not come. I don't know. You, you guys can come. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about that. But the idea is that within religious circles, there are acceptable sexual sins and there are unacceptable sexual sins. And so we draw these circles. And we put ourselves in a circle where we say, hey, you know, there's some things natural to men or natural that we struggle with these kind of things. And we put ourselves in this circle and we say, this is acceptable. And then we look at that circle over there and we say, but those things over there, the thing, not the things that we struggle with, the things that they struggle with, those are not acceptable. And we stand at a distance over here in this circle, judging the people in that circle. And then we want pastor to come to preach. And we don't want pastor to talk about the people, me or the people in my circle. We want pastor to talk about the people in that circle over there. Here's what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5. He basically enlarges the circle. That's what he says. You have heard it said... You shall not commit adultery. So he draws a circle and says that people have been taught that there is a circle of sexual sin called adultery. And very specifically defined means you're married, but then you go have sex with somebody else. That's not your wife. That's adultery. That's a sexual sin that was bad. That one is. And so Jesus is making some clarifying, and he's also correcting. And he says, but I say unto you, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and I guess we should say looks at a man lustfully too, has already committed adultery with her or him in his own heart or her own heart. And what Jesus does in this verse is basically says, here's the circle that you've drawn, but here's the circle I'm drawing. All of us have some measure of guilt when it comes to that. There's one big circle. And here's what happens. What happens is that we are over here and we're judging those people over there. Now look, if you want to play that game of what sin is the most repulsive to God, the Bible gives a pretty good, I mean, there's a solid case in the Bible that the sin that's most repulsive to God is self-righteous pride. So you want to know what the sin that's most repulsive to God is? Is that I stand in this circle over here with my own set of sexual sins and I look at that one over there and I say, yeah, there are... <laughs> They're bad. At least I'm not them. I'm closer to God than they are. That's the sin that's most repulsive to God. 
And so <clears throat> I'm sorry if the church has put you in a circle and judged you and shamed you because of your sexual sin. I'm sorry to the woman who came to me years ago, whispered to me through her tears, I just got a divorce and the church won't let me go back there. All the while my husband and his new wife sit in the second row. I wanna say I'm sorry to the man who grew up in church with feelings of same-sex attraction and was made fun of and essentially pushed away from Jesus. I'm sorry if you've ever if you've ever been asked to leave a church while you were in the middle of your struggle trying to understand what God's view and purpose is for your sexuality. I'm sorry if you happen to be sitting here in church and there's someone also sitting here in church that should say they're sorry, but they haven't. I'm sorry. It breaks my heart to see how the church has done this. And you know what, guys? Um, I'm convicted of that. It's been a journey for me, for sure. And I've grown in this journey to understand God's heart for this. But I'm sorry if I haven't said what I needed to say to you. <clears throat> Listen, the church isn't perfect. None of us are. But we shouldn't let, let's not make that an excuse for unkindness. Let's not make that an excuse for withholding grace and compassion. A couple years ago, we were... Um, uh, my family, Christy and I, went up to Cedar Rapids and we were walking around farmer's market during farmer's market time. You know, they block off the roads and you kind of walk around. A lot of families walk around. We had our grandkids in tow. And um, we're kind of walking around. It was great, having a great time. We came around the corner to this place where there's a religious group that were kind of shouting and holding up signs. And honestly, I don't really remember exactly what the signs said. Most of them had to deal with sexuality but basically, the message that was felt was, if you have some kind of sexual sin, God hates you. I don't know if that was their intention. I don't know that they were trying to communicate that. Maybe the zealousness around the idea of the sexual sin, that's just how it came across. But that's the message that came across. And that's an example to me as I think about this. Like I find myself, I do believe what Scripture teaches. I do believe what Scripture teaches about sexuality. And yet there is so many ways in which we as a church, we've just not done a good job at communicating that. <clears throat> and I understand this, that talking about sexuality in church can be messy. Like I think it's easier, it's better if we could just sort of find a polarized position and stick with it, you know? And we, we certainly can gather a couple hundred people that will agree with us on that polarized position, just land there. And yeah, it's good for us, but it really doesn't really do anything to reach people who are broken and hurting, which is the great commission which Jesus has called us to do. I get that. I get that, mess, that grace is messy, and so I guess what I want, my prayer is that around here we would have a lot, of, a lot more of messy grace. <clears throat> that means that we have to be a church that is compassionate without being a church that compromises on the truth of God's word. And we need to be compassionate without compromise. Now I know somebody's gonna say, Rich, that's not possible. 
It's not possibly compassionate without compromise. And I get that because we live in a culture these days that if you disagree, if you don't agree with their view, you're hating. That's not true. We all, all of us know, common sense says that's not true. Listen, Jesus did this beautifully. In fact, this is the way of Jesus. It was compassion without compromise. And here's what I want us as a church to do is I want us to learn how to be that way. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pray here in a second. We're going to have prayer teams here in left and right. I just want to encourage you. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We'd also love to continue this conversation as well. Here's my hope as a pastor. And I mean, I find myself really oftentimes walking a very fine line on this, but um, I've had so many heartbreaking conversations over the years of people that basically their, their activity, their behavior, their views were contrary to what Scripture taught, which I hold Scripture in high regard. But those same people that I love had also been very hurt, had been called names, had been made fun of, had been pushed out. I find myself in this very fine line of trying to be a, a witness to the truth of God's word while at the same time understanding where they're coming from. And that's, that's just a very hard line to walk. But I'm just convinced that that's the way of Jesus compassion without compromise and so I guess if I want to challenge you as a church I want to challenge us to be people like that who are willing to be compassionate like don't lead in a conversation with all the things you believe and things that they're doing wrong and how they need and then try to show compassion it doesn't work that way you start with compassion you start with some empathy Develop a relationship and then start saying, well, listen, can I tell you that you can find true hope and true peace in Jesus Christ? And start down that path. Imagine the impact that we can make as a church if we follow the way of Jesus and we are people who are highly compassionate and kind to people who are lost and sexually broken, while at the same time holding to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for us. Father, <clears throat> Father, you hear us this morning. Lord, we, we, we repent, Father. We repent as a church for not doing this well, for allowing, for allowing the messaging of culture, for allowing the messaging of our, of our specific religious culture to dictate how we treat people how we minimize people, how we shame people. So, Father, I repent. Lord, just ask you, Holy Spirit, to come into this place and make us that church. That church that holds on to the truth of your word while at the same time is showing love, grace, kindness, and compassion to a world that's desperately, desperately seeking it, Lord. Father, transform us, I pray. In Jesus' name.